us pray. Lord Jesus, it is you who wakes me up every day. And I am forever grateful for your love. This is why I pray. You let me touch so many people. And it's all for the good. I influence so many children. I never thought that I would. And I couldn't take credit for the love they get. Because it all comes from you, Lord. I'm just the one that's giving it. And when it seems like the pressure gets to be too much, I take time out and pray and ask that you be my crutch. Lord, I am not perfect by a long shot. I confess to you daily. But I work hard every day and I hope that you hit me. In my heart, I mean well. But if you'll help me to grow, then what I have in my heart will begin to show. And when I get going, I'm not looking back for nothing. Because I will know where I'm headed. And I'm so tired of the suffering. I stand before you, a weakened version of your reflection. Begging for direction. For my soul needs resurrection. I don't deserve what you've given me, but you never took it from me. Because I am grateful, and I use it, and I do not worship money. If what you want from me is to bring your children to you, my regret is only having one life to do it, instead of two. So good evening, everyone. We're so excited to have our guest uh, tonight, Mr. Elgin Bailey. Let me just tell you briefly about the many things that he is doing for the betterment um, of our community. He's not only a community activist, but he is a former, he's a veteran. Um, he's also a health counselor who focuses on uh, psychology. He's a prevention specialist. Uh, who specializes in drug and alcohol addiction. And, and currently at this moment in time, he is pursuing a degree in behavioral mental mental health. And uh, he is heavily involved in, in, in our communities. So um, not only am I excited to have him on to tonight's podcast, but it's so imperative that we have a professional who specializes in these aspects because, you know, not only have we lost our brother DMX recently, but we've lost so many legends to addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and we've lost so many of our people in our communities, period, mm -hmm. um, to drugs and alcohol. And mental health is a major thing that is is not necessarily being um addressed as it should as far mm -hmm. as i'm concerned is being swept under the rug mm -hmm. um so with without further ado i'll let mr elgin bailey take over the mic and, and he can further elaborate on what he brings to to the table and, and go, go ahead brother oh man uh i'm honored to be here with you folks man to have this discussion anytime i get a chance to chop it up with uh, good black folks to discuss issues in our community and not just issues, but solutions. 
I'm always open to it. Uh, yes. I'm, out, I'm out here in the streets, man, doing work, uh, specifically trying to change the lives of black folks specifically, but not exclusively. Uh, my focus is us all the time, every time. Uh, so I'm out here trying to do work, man. That's what's up. Awesome. So I have a, I have a few questions. I, I'm so excited um, that we finally got you on the show. And um, what do you think about what's going on with the pandemic? How it's affecting people mentally? Because it's, it's just crazy in my opinion. But mm-hmm. I don't think we've, as a community, and I tend to, when I do speak, man, and answer questions, I'm always going to be coming from a black perspective. Uh, yes. A perspective that yes, affects please. us. Uh, so just to just to be clear, when I say us, I'm talking about black folk. Uh, we, right. okay. we have not seen anything like this in years, the pandemic. Uh, specifically, we have not seen anything where we have been forced to be indoors uh, without mm-hmm. going outside. And that's only one component, of course. Uh, yes. you, have, you know, you got the fact that, you know, many of us are essential workers. Uh, Mm -hmm. trying to make a living wage. Many of us depend on external organizations for childcare. Many of us are just trying to make it. So you have this pandemic that comes on where the information initially is sketchy. The government can't be trusted. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you have all of these things. So it takes black folks particularly into a heightened state uh, And sadly, when it comes to our community, we don't always do well in heightened traumatic states. Okay. Uh, Particularly for the fact that we we have so many different things that we are battling internally. So it's been difficult for us, man. It's been very difficult. And I'm hearing, I'm, I'm, I'm also hearing that a lot of household abuse is it just went up at a record number because now more families are forced to stay home because of their circumstances and how that plays into uh the behavior aspect of it like um i'm just hearing so much more domestic violence cases more alcohol abuse and yeah what do you think people can do in those circumstances or it's just really it's just really a tough thing there's no broad answer for everybody, is just an individual basis. I don't know. No, I'm asking you. I think, I think with every problem, every solution, I mean, every issue, there's a solution. Uh, some solutions are more difficult than others. Some haven't been discovered yet. But just to introduce a couple of terms, instead of saying domestic violence, we tend to use mm-hmm. intimate partner violence. Because when we say okay. intimate partner violence, it goes across the scope, regardless of the dynamics in the house. When we think of domestic violence, we often think of black male, black woman, but intimate partner Mm. violence introduces the dynamic that many of us are, should be aware of is violence regardless of the gender or sex of the person, because violence takes place in our homes, you know, from black woman to black men also, which is a whole nother discussion that I think we need to have. Right. Right. Mm. We, we've, We've touched we've touched base mm-hmm. several times on the podcast about the trauma that mm-hmm. our communities deal with, uh, period. And, you know, in 2021, I personally feel that we still as a whole have not 
have not addressed the root cause of the trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so what? So, so now, just like Curtis was saying, we have a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're put in a in a in a, an additional situation. I feel like the black community has always had to find itself or fight harder mm-hmm. from poverty, from poverty, from from addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the in the eighties mm-hmm. the massive. Uh, the drugs true, that took true, over true. took over our communities, and then we had we formed a whole entire generation who were born off of that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then and then you know most of our communities, unfortunately, they don't have the the best resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We lack mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. much. So now the pandemic hit us, right? Mm-hmm. And just like your brother said, we're forced to stay in our house. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of us is already struggling day mm-hmm. by day. Now we didn't lost our homes. Mm-hmm. The fathers then then lost, you know, their incomes. They can't provide like they want to do um, for their families. We're seeing a, a more trauma hit our our people. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, is not enough people addressing it, mm-hmm. and it's not enough people particularly in my communities who who are willing to help yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one another. Yeah. You know, the first step is is acknowledging and then the second step is talking about it and then that's found a solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're so quick to say that, oh, this brother had a drug addiction and 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 to piggyback with DMX a little bit, I've asked, I'm <laughs> I'm like one of his biggest fans. Mm-hmm. So but the brother mm-hmm. has been been crying for help for for the duration of his career mm-hmm. um and you know even with the passing his transition you've seen a lot of people on social media saying well it was his fault you know mm-hmm. he did it to himself not truly understanding how deep addiction yeah, is you yeah. can struggle yeah, with that yeah. for the remainder of your life yeah. so that's why i wanted to have you on to really dig deep into what addiction is mm-hmm. and and the challenges that our community faces every day mm-hmm. be- before a pandemic, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Well, the, the thing is that I think that I've been telling people is that Black folks have been in a pandemic before the pandemic. Right. Yes. All we've known Absolutely. has been pandemics whether it was the heroin uh because heroin you know proceeded crack in our communities uh very Mm -hmm. similar ways Mm -hmm. uh so it wasn't a large gap between the heroin war and the crack war so we went from heroin to crack in the midst we got mass incarceration now we have you know COVID 19 pandemic so we've always known pandemics but we've always had an ability to adapt and adjust in the midst of pandemics also. But I think the one thing that we were noticing is in the midst of being isolated in our homes is is not our behavior that's the issue. It's a lack of resources. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a system that has been built upon us to be the primary resource, aka capitalism. So we've seen how in the midst of 
all of that were taking place while we're still battling trauma from heroin and crack and, you know, the foster care system and all these different systems that have been oppressing us. In the midst of that, we're still getting a new trauma. So black folks literally have, it's like building a wall. Each brick is a piece of trauma. So we're continually putting a new brick on top of each thing. Trauma on trauma on trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. So when we even attempt to find solutions for the trauma, which brick are we going to attack first? Which which brick are we right. going to hit first? Absolutely. My thought process is, man, just get a sledgehammer and begin to hit something. Begin to address something. And then as you address something, something you'll get to the root of the issues. Right, right. Well said, brother. Well, well said. said. That was for good. Sure. You for just sure. Didn't... And that... mm-hmm. Go ahead, brother. You just enlightened me because I was just sitting there just thinking about this whole matter. I'm like, when you just hit it right on the mark when you said we was already in a pandemic before a pandemic, we don't know right. what it's like to have everything doing going good for us. It's always been an issue with the black community and and I, and I appreciate what you're doing because it's very important that we have more brothers start to talk about and try to empower the people when it comes to behavior, you know, mm-hmm. mental mental education. Because I think when it comes to the black community, we lack it on a significant level. And that's the reason why we don't have no healing process. Like you said before, not too many resources mm-hmm. out there for us. But even if it was some resources, in my opinion, I think a lot of black people don't trust government or doctors to talk about their situations. Right. Let's say if it's a lady and she talk about her situations, how she's dealing with her kids and all that, that uh, therapist or that psychiatrist, whoever that speak to her may try to put her behind bars mm-hmm. because of her way of thinking. And it's not because she's a bad well, person, it's because she's in a bad situation. Yeah. And they right. might Well, explore. you got to remember, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you, you got to remember, Curtis, that we're dealing with traditional tradition. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of our, our people have been taught to just pray on it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Take it up with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so, <laughs> so right. And and you know, I'm a firm believer. There is a God. I am mm-hmm. a, I believe in all mm-hmm. that good stuff, but I believe that it takes work. It takes mm-hmm. more. You understand? I, mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that God has put people, have, have blessed gifts and talents. Sure. For example, Elgin Bailey, right, who who specializes in these things. So we need to go above and beyond and seek the resources. And it's nothing wrong with with speaking mm-hmm. to another individual about what's going on in your world besides God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you know, but besides religious per, religion religion reasons, mm-hmm. excuse me, you know. You know, back in the day when we sit at the table or anything happens with a with a male in 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 in, in particular, if a man cry, he's called a punk. Sure. Um, it you know the emotions have been censored for so long, and and I don't feel like we've we've as we've broken those generational curses. So it it all goes back to the root cause. Sure. Sure. I have a question, Brother Billy, because our situation is so complex. Do you think it's in the best interest because you got some people out there that's very church going and they go to get the spiritual healing and they speak to uh, their pastor? I think, in my opinion, and, and maybe you agree with me or maybe not, 
All right, you have the mind, you have the body, you have the soul. I think that we need, because our situation, we need a professional to handle, a trained professional to handle the body and the mind. And maybe if we want to, we go to pastor to handle our soul. But yeah. I don't think that a pastor can't handle all three things because it's not fair because he might not be a trained professional. He might be trained as far as helping with your soul, but you need all three to be able to function True. properly. And I think... I think the reason why we have problems with churches is because we go to our pastor for everything. And unfortunately, they're not trained professionals yeah, on behavior yeah. science. So they get things wrong. They only look at things from a spiritual and a religious perspective in which I'm not trying to take a mm -hmm. take away from it. But I know that it's much deeper sure. than just the spiritual aspect. What about your mind yeah, and your body? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I you, don't know. They stay mind, body and soul for a reason. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't go to a dentist <laughs> for your heart condition. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Uh, even though a dentist is a professional in his own right, you wouldn't go see him for that particular aspect. One of the most dangerous things that we have in our community is a uh, is pastors who are not educated properly on a holistic perspective. Uh, the church, for instance, the black church has a myriad of problems. We would have to spend days talking about the many issues that they have. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's not so much for me, the, the church in itself is the conditioning and the mentality that comes along with right. it. So when we think about Jesus, for instance, we'll use Jesus for a moment. Jesus was always about power. It was always something related. Everything he did was an example and a display of power to show folks that, hey, there's power in this thing that I have. But we for whatever reason, I think it has a lot to do with the way we've been subjugated. Don't view spiritual faith, whether it be Christianity, Islam, or any other faith as a powerful thing. It hasn't translated into a tool to get us from not being oppressed anymore. We tend to find a, a, yeah. a level of safety and comfort in the midst of our faith, but it doesn't empower us to go out and stand up against the very thing that we're seeking comfort from. Mm -hmm. So, but it makes sense though, right? Because on a plantation, yeah. on a plantation, we had to have something to hold on to in the midst of all we were dealing to. But at some point in time, my frustration has been, it hasn't developed into a powerful tool for me to go and build with my people in the community. Thank you. And, and, and unfortunately the church is the black leaders of the neighborhoods and I'm not sitting there saying that they shouldn't be able to take money from the people for the congregation to make things better. But what are you doing in return? Spiritual healing is one thing. It's like what kills me the most. I'm very I'm well versed in the Bible. I, and, and, and I'm not going to I'm not going here. I'm not bashing no Bible, nothing like that. I'm just saying that this book has 66, page, 66 chapters and the 66 books, if you want to say inside one book. I read it front and backwards. So the point I'm trying to say is why is that we still considered referencing scriptures and the Bible at this point when for if you if you've been to church as a kid like I've been, you know every aspect of every chapter of every part of the Bible. So this book has already been read already. It's like you go into college, you read a textbook, all right, it's done. Now what is the next steps from there? And it's like we keep on referencing back to a book that's supposedly two thousand years old. What other healings that we need besides yeah, the spiritual yeah. healing because spiritual healing is just to me one yeah. aspect and that's where you come along because you deal with the practical the world as we live at this moment how the world really is because I, I look at things I'm starting to learn that things need to be more practical okay 
we suffer from economics. We need to learn financial literacy. Right. That's one aspect. We need to learn how to spend our money because we have poor spending habits. What we do when we get the stimulus check, we bought mad pairs of Michael Jordan sneakers. <laughs> Knowing that we live in our worst life. Right. I feel like our people is is catching up. <laughs> you know, we we've had many discussions about knowledge itself mm-hmm. on this podcast, mm-hmm. Elgin. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm really big on starting from the basis, stocks, mm-hmm. investments, learning the laws, learning how to execute the laws that will, will better us as a, as a whole, as a community, unity, um, economics one-on-one, just like Curtis said, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's about who you identify as. Stop, stop referring to a certain individual, know who mm-hmm. you are. So mm-hmm. We no longer live in a time where we don't have this information out there That's to right. seek further. So many of us is just so used to carrying on traditions and not all traditions are bad, but I just feel like so many of us in our community just want a quick yeah. answer. Um, and, and, and that's, at, you know, the pandemic hit. So we want the mm-hmm. government we feel entitled for them to give us stimulus money. We feel we feel entitled to have this, that, and the third. When are I don't I don't understand when are we gonna get tired of seeking things from other resources when we have the ability to obtain all of these things yeah. and more. And I think the the thing with with all of that, particularly with us seemingly waiting on a solution and that we're the only group of people seemingly waiting on a solution. So that's one of the things that we often say that we're sitting back and waiting for something. I dig it, but I also think there's another perspective, another way of looking at it for people who are, you know, getting hit the most, getting knocked down the most, getting kept down the most, the one thing that they're always going to be looking for because of their down space, it's always going to be a quick way up. It's just, it's always going to be. And I think one of the things that we often think is we don't have a whole lot of time. That's what we think. We don't have a whole lot of time to build something stronger to help us up. And and I, I try to address that mentality like, yo, we do have time. Even right. if it's not something that you yourself may see, but if you begin building a foundation for the folk behind you and leave a legacy for them, that's, that's a start. You you hit you hit my page because I always like I was telling Shane I said I'm not not that I'm not concerned with the adults, but I believe that focus what needs to be you. done for us is so complex that I focus on the, the youth because the youth is going to be our future one day. And I believe what's going to happen for us by us to make things better for us is going to take more than just a matter of years. It's going to take generations for things to change. And I think somebody needs to start playing the seeds on the mass level for these kids. One of the biggest issues is the lack of the proper education that these kids are getting in the school system. So it's like all our great, our great, well-educated, well-smart kids go to another group and help that group and make their group better instead of being loyal to the group that we have. Be and try to make us better. And I think it's part, we got to learn loyalty. But I think the reason why we don't have too much loyalty is because we don't think we come from nothing. When people talk about black history, they talk about slavery. They never talk about what we were before this. Right. It's like everybody the Moors. We were kings and queens. Right. Right. So when and- we sit there and have conversations about our, our, our background, everybody look at us, oh, we come from nothing because we just were slaves. This mm-hmm. is what it is. 
Like we just practically True. hatched. Even though we're considered the, the original human beings on this earth, our history only goes back 400 years in, in America. And it's like, and that's what they focus on. They concentrate on it. That's why I like to do research what, what happened True. before True. this. That led to this, you know. But I have a question. What do you think about the laws of attraction? You ever read that book before? I'm pretty sure you did. You did. I, <laughs> I think there is, yeah. is a level of truth in just about everything we read. But when it comes to the laws of attraction, yeah. I think what happens is again going back to that same thought process of when you're down, you're looking for any opportunity to get up. But even when we speak about Christianity mm -hmm. and the church, even with laws of attraction, that doesn't mean that you can just sit still and do nothing. It doesn't mean that you just, you know, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the bag is going to fall into your lap and you're going to be able to do this and do that. You still have to do work with the very thing that is attracting you. You can't just be idle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been one of the big things for us is that, and, and, and I dig it. I dig it again just trying to give our people some, some grace. I dig why we are in these positions mentally that we're in. It's not an excuse. I never offer it as justification. I always offer for context. Nah. All, right, always context because you can't exclude that piece, but we got to encourage folks to read more. Like political education right. is huge. So mm -hmm. law of attraction, it's definitely something that people should be paying attention to, something that people should dig mm -hmm. into. But again, anything that you read that is telling you to sit and wait for somebody else to come and give you something else, you should throw that away. Absolutely. What? Absolutely. And, and Even I'm with the trying... pandemic. I'm sorry. Yep. Though, I just want to no, piggyback you... a little bit because you mentioned you mentioned, Curtis, uh, about uh, kids and, and mm -hmm. education about mm -hmm. how our children are not being mm -hmm. taught properly. So we haven't, mm -hmm. I'm an 80s baby. And the things that I have learned in my 20s and 30s, um, I wasn't taught that. Uh, my people wasn't taught that. Um, so mm -hmm. I want the, I want our mental to change because they don't understand with, with all the heartache that have came with the pandemic. It's a blessing to be able to be at home and educate your own children. Because as far as I'm concerned, we're the first Always. teacher. We're the, we're the mm -hmm. first of everything. Now, as far as the stimulus money and, and all of these, these grants and we have the PPP loans and things of that nature, I want our people to be less dependent. Change the mindset mm -hmm. again. Learn how to take that money, invest it, and open up your own. Mm -hmm. change, change the mindset. So, you know, they can say that the pandemic is a gift and a curse, but Mm -hmm. From my perspective and, and what I've been through with it, it's it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing for me because it's it's all it's all based on your mentality. So we we have to be a people who understand and know and believe in self. We have to understand that we can be business owners. We have to understand that we have the ability to to teach our children. But it all goes back to educating ourselves with books like you just said, Curtis, Laws of Attraction and, mm -hmm. and um, the first Negro and the, the Negro is the Jew and things of that nature. We're not even going to get into those those ancient yeah. texts. But um, I just wanted to to touch base on how the pandemic could 
can be a, a blessing in disguise if you change your mentality on things in general. Now, now when it comes to uh, your expertise, what do you think about, can you give me, like, as far as mm. alcoholism, because I was just having a deep conversation and I'm just having curiosity because maybe not everybody's on crack, hard drugs like that, but uh, uh, many people oh, is on alcohol, sure. drink alcohol. A lot of people... A lot of people don't even, it's not even aware mm. that the alcohol looks like. I just mm. got a real wake up myself. I don't mind putting my business out here because I'm learning, I'm working mm. on working on myself. Because you're always going to be a work in progress no matter what age you get. Um, I drink like maybe twice a week, mm. maybe three times a week. And sometimes it'd be a week where I drink a little bit every day. I was just recently told that I was an alcoholic. And if you can explain that, because mm. there's levels to it. And I'm just learning this whole thing. So I guess I am. I'm not going to. I'm One thing about me, I'm very open. I'm not too quick to say, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not defensive like that. I like to like, uh, take I a look think at this. If, if the person who told you that you were an alcoholic wasn't a alcoholist, you know, specialist or a doctor or a therapist, I yeah. would, brother, I wouldn't take not that advice uh, purely from the standpoint Thank of. You. <laughs> Was you asking that question for yourself, brother? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm getting professional well, let me, let me, help let me, let me, on our podcast. Let's talk about alcohol for a minute. Let's talk about alcoholism for specifically. It's not necessarily yeah. the days, right. the number of days you drink. It's not even necessarily the quantity that you drink. It's what you do while mm -hmm. you're drinking and how ineffective you are when you're drinking and when you get that hangover the next day, what is the impact? What decisions are you making in the midst of those days of drinking? Are you are you calling people you shouldn't be calling? Are you spending money the wrong way? Are you abusing people? Are you just making bad decisions during that time of alcohol? Because no one can say it's it's this many drinks or it's this many days. It's what you, your behavior that comes from it. That's the issue. And I think that's mm. when we got to be very, very careful because for years we lived in a generation, again, alcohol was the first anesthetic, meaning that whenever we had pain, a broken bone, a bad tooth, yada, 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 whiskey was one of the things that we used to numb the pain because we right. didn't have access to the medical things that white folks had. So we used that. After a long day, we had a nightcap. Mm. which was nothing usually nothing more than a shot of something before we went to bed. Why? Because we had a long behind day. White folks have been all on our back. We needed something to provide some comfort that allowed us to sleep soundly through the night because we know we had a long day ahead of us. Would I consider those people an alcoholic? Absolutely not. Because again, that was a matter of okay. survival. Thank you. Listen, man, when we begin to start saying and throwing these mm -hmm. black and white terms out there about things and not putting context and nuance in there, we're doing we're being tremendously dangerous towards our people. We got to be really, really careful with that. Mm -hmm. Now, again, alcohol is completely different than, mm. say, a harder drug like heroin, crack, things along those lines. Completely different categories. That's why one is an alcohol disorder, and that's why you have substance disorders, which would be drugs that you ingest in your body. Completely different things work completely differently. 
But based off of what you're saying, bro, I would never call someone an alcoholic. I say they would either wrestle with alcohol or they're battling alcohol based off of decisions that they make when they are drinking or when they're done drinking. Then that's when it becomes a problem. Well, in my in my case, what I'm known, I'm a little, I'm I'm more relaxed. Like I'm I'm pretty much have a strong head, so it's like no matter what I drink, I don't get bit out of shape when I can't walk straight or make poor financial decisions. When I was younger in my twenties and I used to party, yeah, I have too much to drink and I might spend some rent money. That's more maturity than anything else. <laughs> sure. But as an adult, but as an adult, thirty nine years old and have a family to take care, of, I'm very well responsible to where I spend my money. And even when I have a drink, I think I drink to cope with the bad day I have. I say, you know what, let me have a drink so I can just feel a little relaxed. And alcohol puts me in a position where I just more relaxed. And I think maybe it might be a certain level of alcoholism I'm suffering from because if I don't have that drink, I I won't be in a worse mood. Like I'm not gonna flip mm-hmm. on nobody, but I won't be in the greatest mood. Like my mood don't go. I'm like, oh my god. But I just be like, damn, yeah. this sucks. Well, I ain't have a drink. Might have this to, sucks. I, I need to relax. You might want to I find it, again. I need to unwind. If if you are solely reliant right. on that thing to, and, and not just speaking to you, no. But if anybody's, and this is you know, sugar, yeah. caffeine, sex, drugs, anything, any of those things, an addiction if you is rely an addiction. Solely on that particular thing to cope or to change your mood then you might want to see a therapist to have a conversation about possibly having a disorder. If you're dis- mm. if that's the only way, man, then, then it's something that you might want to have a conversation with. But don't ever put that type of label on yourself because once you mm. get that label, bro, it ain't a big enough shovel to get out of that joint. Oh, tell me about it. Right. But you know what it is? The reason why I'm even speaking about it on this podcast is because when it comes to especially black men, we have we struggle we're talking about we think maybe an addiction or not an addiction on on air to let other people know that you got to be open. I think with us brothers, we're not open. We may tell, talk, talk to our men here and there, but when it comes to our wives, we don't want to sit there and have that conversation. They think that we've been drinking too much, and they'll tell you. you know, Your woman will tell you in a heartbeat, oh, you've been drinking too much. I think you drink too much. And my thing is, I, I instead of me saying, okay, maybe take a look at this, sometimes a man could be like, what? I don't drink yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I don't drink every day. <laughs> it's not It's not only the black man that has that issue. It's, it's, it's the black women as well. It's our community. We don't, mm-hmm. we haven't been taught or we don't trust one another. We're afraid to be yeah. judged. If if you look at social media, mm-hmm. for example, once someone shares something so instrumental, so much that has that's that has affected them, mm-hmm. that that is painful. Once they open up and share that, they mm-hmm. are criticized mm-hmm. and critical. They don't they're mm-hmm. judged. So for me, it took me a while to open up to a lot of people. Because I was afraid mm. on being judged or afraid of being looked upon, sure. like you're a failure. So we have to be, we have to be each other's cheerleaders. We have to start yes. opening up to one another and say, brother and sister, it's all right if you're dealing with someone. Mm-hmm. Here's my telephone number. Here's my email address. Feel free to contact me with anything, whatever is going on. We have to create mm-hmm. that safe space for one another. 
Um, I just recently finished counseling with my son. Mm -hmm. He's 13 years old. Um, and -hmm. people in the family was like, counseling? Why do you need counseling? Like, what's the problem? You know, because mm. um, and and I didn't necessarily blame them for what they're saying. Sure, These are the things that they have been taught sure. to say. We right, yeah. right. Um, so you know, the counseling not only made our relationship better, but it made my mindset better as far as how to communicate more effectively and change my parenting when it comes to. The new, mm-hmm. the younger generation of children. The same way that I was brought up, I can't raise him. The same things. These are different children. They do, they they deal with different things. Yeah, it's a different yeah. society um, mm-hmm. from what we were. So we just have to be willing to open up one to one another or check in. It is nothing wrong with mm-hmm. checking in on our loved ones. I've seen so many people say yeah. they wish they would have did the right yeah. thing by DMX, you know, after the brother is gone. I wish, I wish, I wish I would have did this. But we also have to take accountability no for our actions. You know, just mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like you said, Elgin to Curtis, you know, you might want to see speaking to a therapist if you are, if mm-hmm. you are continuously going to that particular thing mm-hmm. to make yourself sure. feel a particular way. Because there's so many things mm. that you can do in the world um, as far as yeah, getting yeah. back on track. But we got to build those relationships just like we got to rebuild the relationships with the police in the community. Um, it, it's so That's much. It's, it's so <laughs> much. We can go so many different yeah. ways with this conversation, um, brothers, but mm-hmm. we got to start from somewhere. We got to start from somewhere. So what are the things that you can recommend that our community can start with? Like, let's break that down. I am one who always believes in taking care of your house first. Uh, You know, I know within our community, we've all heard it. uh, Mm -hmm. What goes on here stays in here. I don't necessarily subscribe to that particular ideology. But what I mean is if we begin to nurture and grow and work in our own homes, repair the relationships with the people that are in our own crib, repair the relationships with your spouse, your mate, your partner, whatever phrase or term you call each other, reestablish a healthy parenting view with your children. Again, your home is the first hospital, the first doctor, the first school, the first therapy session. It is the first of everything. And if you want to establish a strong, viable black economy structure, infrastructure in your crib, that's going to manifest itself to wherever you and your family go. So then you begin to take that same type of mentality outward to people that you kick it with, that you have strong relationships with. And then we talk about the accountability. We got to be able to hold people in our homes accountability. But so when we talk about accountability, what's probably the biggest issue that we have? Communication. We we don't communicate very well. Why? Again, if I'm going to work and I'm spending eight hours somewhere where I'm constantly being looked upon as less than, getting paid less than, I got to fight through traffic. I got to deal with all this nonsense. When I come to the crib, that should be my safe place. 
that should be where I should be able to be me. Right. But I can't just expect to come into the crib and not be able to communicate effectively. We often communicate from a one or two positions, and I'm going to use a, a lawyer, you know, law type of analogy. We usually communicate or from a defense attorney perspective or a prosecuting attorney perspective. We're looking to defend ourselves or we're looking to protect mm-hmm. ourselves. Very rarely have we been cultivating environments and relationships mm-hmm. where we are looking to be open with each other. But I can't be open with you if I don't feel safe with you. And I got to be able to feel safe with you. And right. not just, mm-hmm. I got to be able to feel safe with you in every soon. possible capacity. So that means when I make a mistake, when I don't do right, and when things do go left, that I'm not in a fear position that you're going to throw me away or get rid of me or mistreat me or abuse me because I showed you my humanity. Once we begin to look at each other, man, as humans and drawing closer and work from the inside out, I believe real change is going to change for our people, man. Mm. Mm. Awesome, brother. I'm over here like, wow, I'm ready to take notes, man. I usually have my book out. Dang, you're so, so profound, man. That was awesome, and you're absolutely right. You hit everything on the mark. That. I'm like, wow, well said. Right, well, we, and, um, we've, we've had that convo in the past about how we got we to gotta take care of us first. Mm-hmm. We have to take care of our homes mm-hmm. first, and then mm-hmm. we can take that same energy and bring that out to the neighbors mm-hmm. in, in the neighborhood. You know, we have to rebuild our villages because our villages are broken. Our homes are broken. So when I talk about the roots, when I talk about foundations, that's what I'm talking about. Talk about your household is your foundation that, you know, right. Deal with your issues and deal with one another in your household. How can it sound so hypocritical? How could you be a community activist? How could you be out there trying to provide you know, things for the betterment of our community and your household is a wreck. You a wreck. You don't even know who you are as an individual. Your spirit, your mind and body and soul is all over the place. Let it, yeah. it, it's okay to take care of self. That's another thing that we don't do. I have to, I have to remind myself often because I do so many things a day. Take care of yourself. If you're not the best, how are you going to be, be the best for your family? You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't. So would it? But that's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent. And I was and I was saying to it that, um, I have to remind myself too. Like people like Dr. King and Malcolm X. It seems as though when you become leaders like them, it is no healthy balance into balancing your household and also being a the speaker for black people. So I think in their their case, they're exempt from that uh, argument. But I don't think when you're doing so much like they did, I don't think you gotta have a balance. I think it's hard to be balanced in that way. I think you just have to have an understanding wife that's just gonna deal with the things the way they are because you know the betterment for the whole entire race. This man is representing the whole entire race for things to be better. But yet there's some problems at home. You know, like with the doc, with Dr. King, it was some problems at his household. But back in those days, you had problems, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't go to the extent yeah, that she's sure. leaving you. Y'all gonna work it out and y'all gonna deal with it. You know, 
and it's it's yeah. cohesive. It's like a marriage was very cohesive back then. Now that fabric is gone. It's like once we start having problems and we we marry, oh, we get a divorce. It's almost like you get married with the idea if things don't work out, you get a divorce, and that's the bad idea already because yeah. when you get married, it's supposed to but be forever. It, but that that whole situation, we live in a society now. now that everything is right now my way. If not, I don't want it. So everything is taken that way. I mean, if your internet is not fast, mm-hmm. what's the first thing you do? You call an internet company mm-hmm. to get it, you get you change your provider. I'm changing you go my to provider. a place, a restaurant, and the food is not done properly into the absolute mm-hmm. specificity. What's the first thing you do? Call the waiter up. We have this. We we know how to struggle. Mm-hmm. We we're adept at struggling, but in the areas where we should hunker down and anchor in, we have that same mentality where we're looking to get out so when it comes to relationships you have every possible app you have every possible encounter where somebody's looking for instant gratification everybody has this mentality that happiness and being in love are the keys to a strong stable relationship when i disagree i say actual communication work and a specified objective of our family are the keys. If we have a goal and if we agree on the goal before we mm-hmm. get married, and that is where we're headed, all those other things are going to have is ebbs and flows. We're going to be unhappy sometime. We're going to be out of love, whatever that may be some days. But if the goal remains the same, we don't have, I don't ever have to worry about you dipping out, mm-hmm. me dipping in. Because we have the same objective. Now, when you mentioned Malcolm, his daughter just released a, a wonderful book called The Awakening of Malcolm X. And in and in this book, listen, in the book is beautiful because what does she do? She addresses her father's humanity. She addresses the components where, you know, we have this, and I think rightfully so to a degree, we have this wonderful image of Malcolm essentially being the quintessential perfect black male. But that goes completely contrary to how Malcolm presented himself. Every time Malcolm gave a speech, if you listen to his speeches, you read the autobiography by Alex Haley, which has his own issues. If you read that, what does Malcolm spend his time like doing? Mm-hmm. Talking about his flaws and his deficiencies and focusing on unity with others as a way of building us up. He wasn't afraid of his flaws. He wasn't afraid right. to say, you know what? I've made some mistakes. I was Detroit Red. I did XYZ. I fooled with the white women. I did all of these things. He wasn't afraid because he never wa- he didn't want us to hold him up to be the way that we have tend to hold him up. We, he wanted us to learn from him and follow him, but he didn't want right. us to be a, a to be a godlike figure in many of our eyes. I don't think that's how Malcolm got down. And listen, I'm Malcolm to the bone, but that, you know what I mean? That's that's not how my man got down, man. Me too. So I love listening to his wife talk about him, talk about his humanity, talk about how he struggled. Mm-hmm. That one iconic picture when Malcolm is looking out the window with the AK in his hand, I, that that is my favorite picture mm, on the planet because yeah. I don't think it's necessarily Malcolm was looking out 
at the enemies. I've stared out the window before. I've looked out the window. And while I'm looking out of the window, I'm seeing my reflection first before I see what's on the outside of that window. I'm analyzing my life. I think at that point in time, Malcolm is really mm -hmm. having one of those deep introspective moments, trying to figure out how he's going to navigate the world and what is he leaving behind as a legacy for his children when these folks come to get him? I think that's powerful. I think those real conversations that we got to have as a people. Mm. Well, he, yes, he, was, sure. he knew without a doubt, he knew he bro. Was die too. He knew he was numbered, and that's why when they had a tip that he shouldn't go to the auto ball, he shouldn't go to the ballroom, or whatever. He Malcolm still went anyway because death. he just knew that Malcolm you can't fear for the people, yeah. man, and, and fear for, for the, you know it's coming. You, if you know you the history of the right. system, you, you know this system is not going to let you no, continue to kick and punch back. Every strong, viable black organization we have ever had as a people came under attack from outside outside places. We, we should expect that by now, right? Yes. And, yes. And, and move accordingly. Right. Yeah. Come on, man. Cointel Pro. And Jango Hoover that's, was that's, the worst enemy we ever had. That man, he, he started the FBI, Jango Hoover, and he a, a good job of destroying other black communities and destroying all the black leaders always. Because, you know, he lived way too long. He lived at 70, what, 72? He was like 90-something years old. And even on his deathbed when Dr. King died, he was like, he don't want no more messiahs to ever rise again. He don't want no more people like Dr. King. And he created so much dysfunctionalities in the 70s up into the 80s, even though he was already gone. But he created a system on his way out the door of, of uh, you know, on his last breath to not allow this happen. And that's we why we didn't we have no serious leader for 50 years. Leader. Look at it now. I'm not opposed to no having leaders on a smaller like scale, but what we need Solidarity. Yeah. And that's, 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 you know what I mean? That's yeah. a meaty word right yeah. there. Solidarity means that I could be a leader here in Philly, but I'm being held accountable by folks in Detroit. I'm being held accountable for people. We, right. That's what we, we need. don't have that. Mm -hmm. We, we still have to this day, we, we see mm -hmm. uh, recently with the sure, Asian sure. hate, that hatred that's going on in the Asian community. We have so many of our brothers and sisters fighting for that cause. Can we be selfish for a minute? For a no, minute? Mm -hmm. yes, Why yes. can't we, we direct that same energy 24-7 to the issues that are affecting us in our community? I'm mm -hmm. so, I'm so sick of it. There is it, it doesn't it. it doesn't make mm -hmm. you a better oh, I mean it doesn't make you a bad individual to put that same effort and energy into your own people 24/7 it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're a racist because you're pro black i it it doesn't they're getting so much attention for a particular time and we've been hated and killed and raped and snatched of our history since we've been in in, in existence so Solid unity, we're not solid. We're not solid. Just like so many of us is still yelling for reparations. We have to nationalize. We have to become one in order to seek what we what we we need to get back from the land, from the resources, things of, of that nature. I'm just like we can't we can't stay 
I'm black and I'm proud for more than a minute. It's got to take a George Floyd situation mm -hmm. for us to collectively come together. It's got to take, mm -hmm. uh, you understand what I'm saying? Why can't we have that same energy 24 seven? Mm -hmm. I'm continuously fighting for us. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. As soon as we see someone who yeah. who's outside of us, who's outside of the culture, and they can do what we are gifted and born to do, we invite them to the barbecue. Stop doing that shit. My my issue now is that um, my friends, because they always get on me, because they say I always say good things about Joe Biden. I said I also say bad things about him. I said I'm the first to criticize him on 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 uh, Facebook. Because I, I let people know that I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I represent whoever represents our interests. And if you're screwing up, I'm going to speak about it. I don't care if you gave us $1,400. Once you made the Asian community a protected protected class, mm -hmm. and which we've been catching hell since we came on this earth, I mean, came into America, I have a problem with that. I don't have a problem. I have a problem with anybody taking life from any race. Don't get me wrong. I hate to see what the Asians will go through, but yo, but we've been, been going, going through this forever, forever. And I'm pretty sure there's way more egregious things out there. If they that's not on camera, not being filmed, that's happening to us all over the United States. So it kind of bothers me that it was black people that got him in that office and he's doing what he's doing. But I'm not i I'm not surprised because that's just that's just how it is. It's always every president that's that gets involved, do, they their job is to ignore us. That's their duty. You know, that's what they've been doing. So I didn't I didn't vote for him because I wanted him to do something for black folks. I knew he wasn't. But I knew as far as and I'm getting sick and tired of choosing the less of evils. I knew if I would have got Donald Trump in office and let him stay there for another four years, we'd have had an all route race war. That was guaranteed because he was just letting them. He was turning his cheek and letting them do whatever they want. And we would have can anybody tell me different. We would have had a straight up race war. So we've been had yeah, a race war, but, but it would have been publicly. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have it been, been sugar coated like been it's been for the last decade or two. It would have been way more bloodshed because I even had I had a point. I'm, I'm licensed to carry and I had a situation when I almost had to put miles out on somebody and I don't do that fighting stuff. I'm too old to be fighting people. You know what I'm saying? I I, I can shoot you though, yeah, <laughs> but I'm not going to fight you. That's just not what I do. Absolutely. You might beat me at my age now. Catch me back in the days. I could fight. I could throw these hands. I'm over that now, man. You All might take right, me down one punch down, nowadays, down bulldog. <laughs> Um, What's so El Elgin, I wanted, I wanted to ask you something. I see that in your bio that yes. you are a yep. veteran, correct? From mm -hmm. the Navy, retired from the Navy. So mm -hmm. we, I hear, and probably in history, like you see, I can't co completely connect the dots at this moment in time, but they say that I, so many of our brothers, brothers who have went um, to the military or the Navy, and then when they come back, back to, to their homes, they, they lack resources, they lack health care, they lack mm -hmm. jobs, they're not able to provide for their family, which in my eyes goes, goes into trauma, and then that becomes a mental health issue. Right. Is is that something that you not necessarily experienced, but have you seen that with your own eyes when you was 
in these type of environments and in, in, yeah. in the navy uh, particular remember the the military is the the warring arm of imperial white supremacy it's it's the, the arm that goes across to put the stamp on mm -hmm. imperialism and white supremacy across mm -hmm. the world. so the one thing that i've seen in the military from the moment that i got in was how they condition and propagandize the people to view america in a certain manner that america is the greatest country mm -hmm. blah, blah blah all those things that that is literally what you are funneled with and conditioned with is to view the military as a beautiful thing as america a great safe brave place yada yada all those lies that they gave us in the military now i didn't go into the navy because i love this country i didn't go uh -huh. and participate yeah. in anything because i am a patriot i went to the military because i lacked resources in my right. hood to do anything else uh -huh. it was either i went there or i stayed on the block and got involved in things that would not allow me to prosper uh -huh. Right. So, so I went in for that. So even while I'm in, I only viewed it as this is my my job. While I'm here, I'm I'm going to take advantage of all the resources. I'm going to be able to do X, Y, Z while I'm in here. All those different types of things. So historically, what we have seen with the military component, World War II, Vietnam. The GI Bill is, is introducing this time. Right. Matter of fact, it's mm -hmm. World War One. The GI Bill was introduced, where a lot of black veterans, black people, went into the military with the thinking that if I make it through this war, when I come home, I'm going to be able to buy a home for my family, buy a home, actually own a home. Right. So black folks went over to the war, fought some folks that really didn't have issues with us, came back, was mistreated by people here because they still didn't give a damn about black folks when we came back as veterans for fighting for them. So when we get back, they mistreat us at the airport, spitting on us, treating us, mistreating us in various ways. Then when we go to apply yeah. and try to get that GI Bill that they promised us, mm -hmm. they tell us no. They don't allow us to get it. They, they come up with all these different excuses. Redlining was huge where black folks weren't allowed to be able to move in a particular place. We know all those things. So the military has always had a racist foundation because mm -hmm. it's built on that. The very first military was what? When we see the Civil War taking place, what were they fighting for? They were fighting over what? They're fighting over us. So why do we think that that's going to change over time? We see them constantly going overseas and being involved in things that they shouldn't be in, involved in. We're constantly trying to be doing right. these kind of crazy things. So the military is wildly that's why, racist, man. Mm -hmm. Ain't no race, more racist than the school system. I mean, it's all built on racism. Mm -hmm. It's very racist. I did. I did. Hell yeah. I did plenty of contracts, private contracts. Um, I'm not gonna put details in it, but I just would just say I did contracts. That's crazy. I did crazy contracts with the military, and one thing I learned is that um, it's all about destabilizing regimes. That's what we was responsible for, my unit, and that's all they did. They go around the world, see how they can exploit the resources at the country. That's why you got these countries in South America having issues right now. They coming to our border, Venezuela, because we made it our business to destabilize yeah. their country because fight. Venezuela is a perfect right. example. Let me explain. Come on, man. Venezuela has one of the largest oil refineries in the world and it's countries like American and Great Britain countries that was exploiting the oil and then one guy was like Bernie Sanders. One president was like Bernie Sanders came in there 
kick them out and, and pay back the World Bank real quick and right five years ahead of time. And they was angry about it. And then now they try to get other people to come in here and kill him off yeah. and try to destabilize that country so, so that we the, can start exploring oil you again. About. So it's all about the, get the resources. Money, you know? Yes and no. Uh, there's racist aspects within the VA, particularly Veterans mm-hmm. Administration, mm-hmm. which veterans deal with when they come out with, you know, to get health care insurance. There's racist aspects in that. Uh, the system is racist. But I think the one thing that they are trying to overhaul the whole thing mm-hmm. is because so many white boys are coming back from, you know, the Middle East with PTSD and they're really concerned about that behavior exploding and we see mm-hmm. all these other different types of issues taking, you know, exactly. So a lot, every time you see one of these, unfortunately, yeah. sad mm-hmm. mass shootings or some of these things, far too often these guys are ex-military. Uh, so there's that, that, that war component. You can't go into a place mm-hmm. and be conditioned to kill and protect and turn that off. It's the same thing we see at the NFL, right? The same thing. Oh, well, I was just going to say that. What yeah. our mm-hmm. brother that just, passed, that just killed himself. Same thing. We, we, you can't be in a place. Yes. You think NFL, these cats have been playing and hitting each other full speed since they were 10 years old. Since 10. 10. That brother and had three not even mentioning how many concussions he probably didn't even have diagnosed because of the way the environment was. So, but you can't right. turn that off. You can't turn that kind of conditioning off. So even when oh. we talk about, let's go back to DMX. <laughs> when we see DMX and we see all of the the, the things right. that he dealt with, mm-hmm. fourteen years old, he is given, introduced to crack cocaine by someone who's older. Someone he looked to as an OG, he looked up to. So as a 14-year-old child, he begins the path of dealing with addiction while living in poverty, while living in a crime-ridden environment, while dealing with a crazy, stressful family dynamic. The fact that he was a certified genius and ultimately became one of the greatest hip-hop icons Mm -hmm. is a testament not only to, you know, the internal fortitude that he did, but also who he was as a person. Because no, he wasn't supposed to survive that. Right. You weren't supposed to survive. And when we talk about his addiction, when we talk about any addiction, one of the things that we have to have a conversation with, I believe, first and foremost, is not what the person is doing, but what has been done to them. What trauma are we talking about? Yeah. So even and, and we can use trauma in so many different yes, types of contexts. The way we parent, mm-hmm. the way we love our partner, the way we deal with our community. Many of the behaviors that we are spawned out that we display that other folks outside of our community call dysfunction is not dysfunction. It's trauma responses. It's part of us trying to survive in a white supremacist capitalistic society that mm-hmm. has been oppressing us for years. So it makes sense that we they, we allow them to put a liquor store on every corner. It makes sense that we let them put you know the chicken spot on every corner, that our communities are food deserts. It makes sense that we allow these things because when you have lack or nothing, you tend to accept the worst. Right. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's that's so true. true. And so wow, many that's people well said. and, and that's so well. many people just truly don't understand addiction as a whole. 
Well, let's talk about what, that. What that when, when, you, when you think about addiction, and, and we can use sugar, drugs, or alcohol. Because in, in many circles, you can have a sugar caffeine addiction. You can have the same sort of addiction. If you drink coffee two or three times a day and you stop trying to drink coffee for a period of time, watch those headaches start coming. Watch those your body start shaking. It's because when you are addicted to something, mm-hmm. particularly let's take crack, for instance, or heroin, which I'm unfortunately too familiar with. So when you get when you take a drug such as heroin, that first high. Every addict who has ever been hooked into heroin, they always say they're looking, they're chasing the dragon. Chasing the dragon is them chasing that first high, that first euphoric feeling that they got from that very first injection. Because what happens is drugs literally change the chemical makeup of your body. Literally literally changes your nervous system. It changes the way your body functions. So hence why withdrawal is not simply, you know, your body lacking the drug. It's withdrawal is your body lacking the thing it very much needs now, which is that drug. So that's why when in, in the, 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 the drug field, the addiction field, we don't talk about relapse. We don't, we don't use that term, people relapsing from drugs. We don't tend to use that. You know why? Because your body chemistry has been changed. Your experiences have changed. Every day is a battle for you now no longer to be taking drugs because your body begins to need it. So when we see the folks in our community who have been addicted for a number of years, battling and warring against addiction for a number of years, we see them typically are some of the most strongest individuals possible. Because, And I'm talking about mentally and emotionally. Because of what they've had to endure late in the midnight hour when they're by themselves and they're trying to fight not to go rob their neighbor because they want to get high. They're trying to fight because they don't want to go steal from their loved one to get high. They're trying to fight because they don't want to neglect their kids to go get high. It's a battle that I don't think enough of us have a conversation or an understanding about that has affected us in so many ways. So when I'm thinking about DMX, man, I'm not only thinking about his addiction disorder, I'm thinking about what has his kids seen? What type of trauma has his kids or his ex-wife experienced? Are they getting counseling for this? Because if not, guess what? That cycle continues. The kids... Right. I don't know if you if you caught um Elgin or Curtis. Yeah, I don't oh, yeah. know if you caught Alvina yep. Fix My Life. Yep. He, right, with his first son, that's now I believe his eldest son, um, twenty-eight years old. And you know, that was a horrible it was just horrible. I don't even know any other word to express that, but you're absolutely right. You know, when we put ourselves in, in these positions or if we don't put ourselves in these positions, let's, let me just rewind. If we are in these positions, we, we don't think about how it affects everybody else around us. And, and I don't know if, if we know how to do that when it comes to an addiction, because at that moment in so. time, you're only sure. interested and getting what sure. right right so that's 
that's so interesting that you said that, but it's, it's on point. So as a prevention specialist, are, are yes. these some of the things that you yes. speak so, to? So a, a when quick you... story. Uh, right. Okay. My mother and father both were heroin addicts. My mom died from heroin-related HIV-AIDS when I was 11. My dad died from HIV-AIDS-related heroin abuse when I was 21. So I have a, a history. All I've ever known was my parents being addicted to heroin. So for a number of years, I always viewed them as someone who, you know, I was angry with them because I felt like they chose heroin over us. You know what I mean? So, so again, and guess what that birth, that birth trauma within me. So I wasn't able to maintain strong, intimate relationships with other people because I always viewed them at some point in time, they were going to choose something else over me. So I walked around with this defense mechanism. So as a black man, imagine that, you know what I'm saying? So now I'm a black man who feels like the world is against them. And now on top of that, I feel like I have to go and find validation anywhere I possibly can find because I'm constantly in fear of rejection. It wasn't until I was 23 years old and I woke up (laughs) with my hands around my partner's throat because I was having a nightmare that I was choking my dad. So I'm choking my girl thinking that it's my dad. So it wasn't until then that I ended up going to therapy and going to counseling that I began this long journey of reconcile and work. And man, listen, I still battle with this. So how do I battle with it while working with others in the same field? I practice, I practice Mm. legit self-care, man. I got kids and and listen, when I say I will get done work and go and lay on the floor with my kids and roll around and play patty cake and, you know, head nose teasing shows, you know what I mean? All these things and color (laughs) for hours as a way of rejuvenating and re-energizing myself because I can't do anything else. I don't drink like that. You know, I I, I don't go right. out. You wonder why? Because I'm a person right. who is a trauma person. So any of those things can trigger me to make awful decisions. So, you know, and only was, yeah. Gotcha. But you know yeah. that. It, it took right. me a long time. You know that, right. And you're a you're responsible to, <laughs> to get To get to that point where I've said, you know what? I can't keep doing this to myself, man. Yeah. Right. And that's what life is about. Life should be about, you know, yeah, going man. through experiences but learning from them. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I it, it was heartfelt in what you just said. And yeah, and, and, and that and that and that's what makes you, you know, put in a that's why you're in a better position to do what you do for a living because of the fact that yeah, yeah. you have your own personal experience that you can add as well as your professional expertise. So I think that's very important. And, you know, like, I just, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't really come from that, but I came from the fact that I mm-hmm. we didn't have nothing growing up. And I come to see my, my, my friend was a crack baby, you know, growing up. And because of it, to this day, and it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. and it breaks my heart, he been suffering from a, um, addiction and now drugs got far, far off. Mm-hmm. Even his brother, his brother used to be angry at him doing it. Now his brother is on it. And I said that his, okay, his brother, he, he went to the military. He came back. He structured his you life, you know, because the military does. One good thing I can say about the military does structure your life. It makes you uh, all the time. Yep. You discipline to do the things that you need to do when you don't want to do it. <laughs> that's about it. 
<laughs> that's about it. But as far as everything else, he still gave a life to drugs and um and he I never bounced back. And you know, when I see them from time man. to time, you know what I'm saying? it just breaks the reason my heart, why I don't, you know? because I don't like getting into trauma Olympics with folks. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where we start particularly black folks. Like all of us have been right. traumatized. My yes. trauma, as bad and as horrible and as lingering as yes. it is, doesn't make me as less or better than another brother who, you know, lived in a middle mm-hmm. class but went to an all-white school and experienced trauma there. You know what I mean? As a people, we we can't we got to be real yeah. careful with those type of you know comparing things like that. I, ah, that's a man. That's a bad idea, bro. Yeah. Everybody threshold is different. Like for sure. say if I, I I lived in your walk of life, maybe I couldn't handle it. I probably wouldn't even be on this earth. It makes you a strong you're just a stronger person and you was able to handle it. Mm-hmm. So even if we look at it from the outside standpoint, wow, that seemed crazy, but I probably could handle it. And then you Bruh, actually facts. could rewind back a time and actually handle it, you won't be able mm-hmm. to handle it, you know. It's like it's like it's like a coach yep. and his players. The coach can see outside, but he don't know what it's like to actually be in the mm-hmm. game playing it. He only give mm-hmm. you outside. So that's what it goes to what you think you should do. About Mike Tyson. But, I could be in Mike Tyson's corner and yeah. tell him to throw a jab and throw this. But if I never got punched in the mouth by Michael Spinks, yeah. I can't really have a whole lot to say. I can only give you you know, I can only give you a certain level of expertise, man. So we gotta be really <laughs> careful with that. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, right now I deal with the youth. I got a lot of young guys that I talk to from time to time. And and every time I, I see them, I'm a mailman. So I'm out there working and I see them. We have conversations. And I got one of them over there job with me. I fight with them all the time because I'm like, yo, you shouldn't be on that street. I said, yo, you know, the, you know that I want you out here. You know, because, you know, a few of them don't have fathers. You know, and I, and I miss a community being cohesive where... You didn't have to have a father. Yeah, everybody yeah. in the neighborhood was going to look out for you. It was a neighbor in the neighborhood. You know, right. Everybody can do that, but... Well, that's yeah. what, that's mm-hmm. that's how yeah, uh, Elger, it, Elgin, excuse me, if if you didn't know, that's that was how Bring Back Our Kings became about. Um, I was a single mom of a son, and, you know, as he started to become older... I realized that I can't teach him the things Mm -hmm. that he needs as far as being a man. I can teach him the basics, um, you know, knowledge itself, education, things of respect, you know, things of that nature, how to be a business person. But there's just certain things as a woman I can't give him because I'm not a man. Um, um, So, you know, I was, you know, I was tired of, society telling me how to raise my son or him only being um, provided with Mm -hmm. a horrible view of what a black man is, you know, from Mm -hmm. reality TV to, uh, you know, put every time you turn on a TV in his generation, particularly there's a black man getting pulled over by the police or just being killed because of the color of their skin mm-hmm. or being killed because they have a hoodie on or being killed because mm-hmm. they're holding a package of, of Skittles. So it was very tough for me to mm-hmm. have those type of conversations for, with him. So I said, let me start a, a community center. It started really small here in Georgia. 
Um, it was in Hiram, Georgia at that particular time, one of the worst places to try to open up a community center to teach our children knowledge itself and things of that nature. But it started off in my house, just uh, uh, my son and eight other little boys. And we would have other brothers in to teach them stocks, investments, music, you know, mm -hmm. how to work music instrument, instruments, uh, awesome. tap dancing, just expose them to other things that, right, thank you, that's just, that society is, yeah. is not teaching them. So I didn't keep up with that. I, I got funding and we got a building, but the county that we was in, was so instrumental on shutting it down. So that's how it started off in my household. So, so then from there, I said, well, let me turn into like a social media platform. Let me get it on Facebook and Instagram. So all of our socials, we, we try to display educated, powerful Black men. Because as far as I'm concerned, the Black men need to be the front of this war that we have going on. Um, so that's why it's called Bring Back Our Kings. I believe that we are kings and we are queens. So it's a it's a far reach, it's a far cry saying from a, a black woman that we need our brothers to stand up for us. We need our brothers to lead our communities and we need to rebuild um, the love between the black brother and the black woman. So um, we recently started a podcast. This is our second season, but every brother or sister that we have on here is actually doing mm -hmm. things in the community to provide for us, provide a better, a better uh, community, a better community. Uh, we we speak about things that we that the normal podcast is not speaking about. I know your podcast, mm -hmm. uh, the Black Podcast. You also have those type of discussions but most of the podcasts are talking about celebrities or what the next person is doing and I'm just like those are not the things that we need to be preparing our future for we need to be preparing them on how to to be mm -hmm. owners how to be self-sufficient um so that's that's a mm -hmm. little little bit about um how what how and what bring back our kings um is so it's it's uh, a. <laughs> I right. lost my track of thought. To interject with it, what is important too is that black everybody know black mm -hmm. people are very big consumers because when you look at the hood, you see the Chinese restaurant, you see the right. Arab. You know, we all know that now, and the and the beauty parlor stores and stuff. Now, since we know this, I think. It may be an interest for anybody that's into business to try to like start targeting our own people as consumers. Let us buy from each other, but in a very strategic manner <laughs> where they don't even I don't know. Sometimes maybe you have to trick black people to let them know it's not a black owned business. Maybe get a white face front, a white front or an Asian front, and they think it's an Asian owned business and it all along it's, was a black it's owned business. That we even have to think no, that I don't way. know what to say. I know I, I'm, I have to do a Jedi mind trick on my own people because at the end of the day, I think <laughs> if we have to do something like that and then later down the line, we tell them, well, you've been supporting black business and they'd be like, what? How? Oh, this is a black business. 
I think part of it with black business, we need to focus on um our customer service skills. We suck. <laughs> we suck compared That's to the white not folks. We true. suck when it comes to customer seen service. Any skills. black owned uh, apparel companies putting monkeys I, on their shirts and. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not taking away all the craziness that we see. But what I'm saying is that when it comes to black, for example, restaurants, they got a lot. Of, I'm, I'm from Jersey. I mean, I live in Jersey. <laughs> Jersey got nothing but black owned businesses all over the place because Jersey is like a whole black country, depending on where you live at. They is so rude and disrespectful. And I'm just sitting there saying, I'm buying from you. I'm coming in there with my pleasant attitude. Hey, how you doing? How's everything? Hey, what's up? And then they walk away and they talk on the phone for a minute. I'm like, is this brother serious? I'm trying to order me. You know what? I'm walking out. But I think that we need to focus on our customer service. No. I think we need to have a people skills no, training you, for black folks. Because we got to know how to treat people. That's how you get people money. You but can Curtis, sell me crap you see, if you talk to you me see nice. what you did? You automatically <laughs> no. gave up on that business. You walked out. I would have pulled that individual yeah, to the side and had mm -hmm. a conversation with them. You have the gift of gab. People are going to yeah. listen to you. So I just, yeah. but I, but generally, <laughs> I just feel like we give up on each other so much. We're so forgiving to other races, other cultures, but we don't have that same approach yeah. when it comes to us. I have three businesses and, and I always get complimented on yeah. my customer service, but I always hear the backlash from that that same mentality, you know, oh, black businesses suffer because of the customer service and things of that nature. And then I have a conversation with them and I say, well, did you try to figure out what's going on with that business? Did you go back in there and pull them to the side? Did you email <laughs> well, them? Did you do this, that, and the third? But... But here's the thing, you gotta remember, you, we 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 felt we felt to realize that black people are ego tripping. So let me go back in that store and tell our brother how he should run no, his business. No, but you're not telling him how to run Adam, his business, him, brother. No, 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 no. But you gotta look at it like this: if I go in there and tell him this is how I should be treated, or a, whatever <laughs> language I decide to use, he gonna feel as though I'm trying to no, tell him how to run his business. And you know you how black know folks that. are. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, yeah. I mean, I might maybe I could have went back and maybe I could have talked some sense to him. But for the masses of us, we have we one thing about black people. We one of the biggest issues that I notice, in my opinion, we have ego issues. We egotistic sometimes. We feel as though we write, and if somebody try to critique us, how dare you critique us? You know what I'm saying? How dare you tell me how? My business should be ran. Even if I'm not even telling you, I'm just saying maybe, you know, because there's no, it's no nice way. It's no perfect way to really tell yes, somebody, yo, your customer yes, service suck. So let me. I took, I took my family. I took, I'm sorry to interject, but I took my family out to a, a black owned yeah, Southern restaurant out here in GA. And this, this brother, he's an elder. He's been in business since yeah. 1954 to be exact. And my expectations was, okay. oh, I'm getting some real Southern homemade. Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> home, oh, oh, like with the Kool-Aid, with the red tips, with the potato salad, everything. <laughs> so when Ooh. they put out the food, it was like I ordered, I ordered like smoked barbecue chicken because they ran out of rib tips, first of all. 
That's something crazy. That's like going <laughs> to Popeye's and you run out of chicken. Like, I don't understand. So we didn't complain while well, my mother did. She's all New York. Like, I'm born and raised in the Bronx and Staten Island, but she has no chill. So she complains, <laughs> but I ordered something differently. Like, when he bought it up, it was, he, when they bought it out, it was like portion size. It was like sliced into like little dices and things of that nature. So the food was good because of the sauces that they provided, but, um, He's a very hands-on business owner. Let me get to the point. So he was there. So at the end of our uh, our yeah. meal, he came over to the table and um, had a conversation. So it was it wasn't eventual. It, it eventually I had a conversation with him about not only the rib tips and the the, the slicing and dicing of the chicken. But I think it was my approach that made the conversation welcoming and then him being open-minded to new ideas on how to operate the business. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, if that makes sense. So it's all mm-hmm. about, it's all about your approach to one another. We're as business owners, as being black period, we're automatically off guard. We don't trust many people. We don't trust our own people. So, huh. You 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 said right. been a business since nineteen fifty right. something though. So he, might, I'm pretty sure you won't. You're not the first person to try to critique him. So he might be more open to criticism since he's been in business that long. But when you got these new fly by night like <laughs> businesses, they might think they know so much that they're not trying to hear now. But I, I get what you're saying. Right, I could but that's not what y'all right. This is why we're here to to rebuild our village, right? So we can't be concerned on how mm-hmm. people yeah. is going to take what we what we are telling them. We should be more concerned mm-hmm. with getting the information out there and our approach. It's, it's just like you said, Curtis, you mentor these young children, right? So obviously you have a way of yeah, speaking exactly. to them where they respect you and they're listening to you. That's the number one key. You're an effective communicator. So... Yeah. I just want our mindsets to to change, not to always say, well, we're not going to say such and such to this black person because we got to stop doing that shit. You understand what I'm saying? That's the point. I have my moments and and you know what it is? And I think I think part of my issue is is more of a biased way, and I'm gonna tell you why. Mm-hmm. I'm so focused on the youth that I'm not focused on adults because I I don't have too much faith in people changing who they are, their mindset. Because you know, True. you know, in cognitive science, once you get a certain age, you set your own ways. It's only up to you if you want to change or if you felt in your heart that you want to change. Then chances are, if I talk to you, I might nudge you a little bit, and you might end up changing because you already had it in your mind. But for a lot of people, they're comfortable in their own skin, even if it's bad. So it's like me trying to change a person is very difficult with the adults. Yeah. That's why I don't spend much time fighting with the adults. I rather fight with the kids because kids still got opportunities to be molded and shaped. But it doesn't take away the fact that I could have communicated with that guy. But I think he just <laughs> caught me off guard because even I had my own moments where I just wanted a quick. Bam, you know, mill and keep it moving. But out unfortunately, I didn't get that kind of service. And he walked yeah. away and he got on his phone. And I and you know what it is? I didn't just walk out right away. I kind of looked at him to try to get him a signal. So he 
at me and still stayed on his phone. And since I couldn't get his eye contact, I'm like, well, if he think I'm just standing here waiting to get something without even even saying anything to me, all right, I'm walking out. But I could have communicated. You're absolutely right, Shane. I, I take that away. I could have said something. I'm tell you, I'm gonna start talking to these Negroes, and I might end up getting a fist fight with them because they don't know how to. They don't. They don't know how to take criticism or even a customer just saying, "Hey, man, you know." That's why I think if we want to talk about having an effective black-owned business, we need to have surveys at the end of this bad boy. Give people a survey. What do you think the level of our performance? Can you rate our level of performance so we can improve our service? I think as a, a, as a, a business, I think it's our obligation because we are brand new when it comes to business versus mm-hmm. the white man that's been doing this for a long time. We need a all quality control insurance where we can improve our company by what our customers say because at the end of the day without customers you don't have a business so it's about what they think is more important than anything if, if you get especially if you get an algorithm where everybody people say the same thing the chances are you might yeah. just need to make some improvements in that area so i think we just need to if we're going to talk about black business i think that's just one thing need to be presented <laughs> we need to talk about so tell us about your organization called Robert Chadwick. Uh, my brother Chad, man, Robert Chadwick Ray was murdered by a member of the Coatesville Police Department back in 1996. Uh, Chad had just came home uh, from doing some time. He was all done with that, but he had a reputation, you know what I mean, uh, in the hood. So, of course, there was a disturbance where he was, and the cops assumed that he was the source of disturbance. They say a scuffle ensued and he pulled a weapon, but that's not true. Uh, They shot him a number of times. Uh, We never got justice. Nobody ever went to jail. Uh, None of that ever. No, no settlements or whatever that may be. We never got any of that. So me and my siblings decided to create the Robert Chadwick group to honor him and to give back to our people in necessary ways, man. So we out here doing the best we can to help our folk. Oh, that's great, yes. man! Hey, you're not far, Philadelphia. That's that's close to me. I'm only an hour and a half. Philly, Philly, boom, boom. Philly, where are you from? <laughs> I was looking out there too. Philly got a lot of potential, but I see that they're trying to buy it up because I see it not but boarded up houses. I was in, um, I think it was West yeah, Philly. Yeah, man, West yeah. Philly. Boarded up. West Philly is heavily gentrified oh, right now. Uh they didn't get yeah. in and change the name of particular. It's it's really nefarious the way they're doing things out here. We got a we got a lot of work to do. We do, we do. You know, it's happening everywhere. I've definitely seen it happen up in in New York, but it's also here in Atlanta. And I'm just like, we had so many opportunities to to save our community, but a lot of what I what I found in doing research and being out there with the community is. Not only do we lack the resources, we just don't know how to go about certain things. Um, And and then when we have someone like us who knows it, not a lot of us are willing to educate the other person Mm -hmm. about how to do it. Um, So we go ahead, brothers. When when you and if and the crazy thing about it, one thing I learned is that. When they start to gentrify a neighborhood and like, let's say you're trying to bring the crime rate down in the neighborhood, you know that a lot of kids, some of them is responsible or some of them just need to get off the street. 
you know, we don't know what circumstances they have at home. And then you try right. to create a community center and then you got the commissioners coming at you. I'm talking about these commissioners came at me with everything. And I like to say that I didn't quit or not doing stuff. I just got to think of a more creative way to do it because once they start gentrifying the neighborhood, anybody that's trying to do anything to help the community, they're going to block Always. And they're going to block you because they did, they did that. First, they said we didn't have enough money. They said we needed two million. We okay, got two million. We, I got what's donors. Next? Right. What's what's up? at me. Oh, we 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 have assets. We all got assets. We got houses. We got everything. What's up? They was trying to find. They kept on finding mm-hmm. other ways. And and at that point, we just knew that they're not going to allow us to do it. But that doesn't mean that we call it a quits and call it right. a day. No, we we just got to be more creative. And who knows? There's so many places in America that needs help. We don't necessarily have to do Newark, New Jersey. But Newark, New Jersey's been hurt hard with drugs back in the 70s because it was one of the mm-hmm. most progressive towns that was pro-black. It was pro-black and it was progressive and they was fighting against the injustice of the people. And it's funny how now it's a crack town. They made it a crack town because they pump a lot of drugs mm-hmm. in the hood to try to dis- cause all types of dysfunctionalities. They did an we excellent don't job. We the drugs I and the guns in our communities. Like, They pump it in there. My friend was telling me that back in the days he used to see cases of guns, like a whole case on the corner with all types of assault rifles in there. Because at one point in the hood, everybody was just using sh- handguns and they're all some. Where the heck all these machine guns come from? Like, where the heck these come from? They was dropping them off in the hood. On purpose. It was an experiment. Mm-hmm. It was an experiment. Yep. It was actually a social experiment. And they were just watching this how we kill each other for the little resources that we have, you know, and it's sad. But I'm still fighting to try to get it done. I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but it's going to get done. One way or another, if I have to leave this earth and get it done while I'm leaving this earth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And I want to have community centers everywhere. But it's not a community center where you just come and do recreation right. and play and all that. No, you're going to learn. You're going to learn financial literacy. You're going to learn what it's like to uh, understand your history when it comes to black. Because knowing your history, teaching knowledge yourself, what Mal- um, Malcolm X talked about, he said, the, the, if we teach the love, if we teach to love each other, our problems will fall by the wayside. That is so true, because if we have more love for each other, we won't allow us to go through the things we go through now. You know, And then we could be more unified if we know what we're being unified for. A lot of us don't even know... Um, our history, we just go by what we've been told. Um, yeah, what we've been told. So now we need to learn, and we also need to learn financial literacy. People say the root of all evil, root of all evil, is money. Hell no, not having money, man. I don't have the same conditions that I see other people live, where they living all messed up because they don't have. They like the basic finances, the the for the mm-hmm. basic things in their life. No, you can have your heaven right here. You don't need to die to there. experience heaven. Try to have your heaven right here. You know, that's the biggest thing they try to do. Oh, I, and my problem with church, I feel church makes people feel comfortable having nothing. <laughs> having nothing. It's like you comfortable having nothing and then you go home happy not having nothing. No, that some kind of churches, change. Some churches, you know, the churches that I grew up in, we were community-based. So, you know, yeah. we did things heavily in our community, but I, I hate to say it, those type of people don't exist. Those were elders. Um, that's 
the face based initiative would change everything when the um government found the loophole to start giving churches money. That's what changed the church's uh behavior. Because you're not allowed to be in direct conflict with the federal government and talk progressive against the government if you're getting funded by the government. So so unfortunately the FBI, the Faith Based Initiative is real. When I when I when I heard it and I researched it, I thought it was all jokes. And then when I broke it down, I was like, wow. So that's why these mega churches don't really speak out against a lot of things. They'll talk they'll touch the surface a little bit, but they won't go into the depths. And it's not that they don't know, they're not gonna go into the depths because they're not allowed well, think to think about it even paid. further. Within our community, we see a number of nonprofit organizations, uh, community-based services that are getting funded through grants and things along those lines. Well, back in the day, intentionally, particularly in Detroit, it's a wonderful book called Black Awakening in a Capitalist America by Robert L. Allen. And he talks about yeah, he oh, talks Robert, about uh, how okay. the, the Ford Foundation actually put jobs together in Detroit as a way of de-radicalizing the civil rights movement that was uprising in Detroit. So what happens is these nonprofit organizations come in, they hire a bunch of us to come in and do the jobs, and we do it because they pay decently, but they don't allow us to address the roots of issues very much the same thing that you see with the church initiatives in, in not all churches but many churches they can only address the symptoms they can't address they can't call out racism they can't call out those things they can talk about and they use terms like you know people of color you know all these different multicultural right. they water <laughs> down they, they water yeah. down the the actual radical nature of black folks through giving them some sort of jobs. And we see this with some of our own activists. They out there right. doing these crazy commercials, man, yep. get involved in all these different things. But because it's a way for them to water down our radicalism. And that's why I refuse to get in bed with them. I'll do it's, the Robert Chadwick. It's a way to, I, can't do. To I don't further, like the, I don't like it's words. It's a way to further enslave us mentally too. Or to keep us that way. Yeah. To keep us that way. I don't like the I don't like the word oh, minority. I don't, I don't like that word because that word is always used. It's always been a weapon against us, even with the civil rights bill. Because minority, what was added was um, white white women and gay white men was considered minorities True. because of their status. So when they add them to the bill, as long as us, we got the crumbs of that bill. So I don't like that word minority. And no disrespect to black and brown. When they say black and brown, I'm all focused on the black because we started this game. We was here first. We built this. We need something specifically for us because something is specifically against us. We don't need... When you start adding that minority, we always get the short change. It's just not fair. And everybody always want to do a rainbow coalition. That's not beneficial to us because we're, we're not the numerical majority in a lot of things. So we're always going to suffer from the fact that we don't have the same numbers. So we need some specifically for black people because we're treated the worst in this whole entire country more than anybody. Yeah, you got some certain love, certain brown folks getting treated bad. But when you look at the, the dynamic of it, some of them are black. They just identified as being brown or identified as being Hispanic or whatever the case. But when you look at their skin color, their hair texture, their facial structure, they're African. Just speak a different language. Now, now unfortunate is that we have this issue where they get treated bad and they say, oh, that's fab for brown people. No, he's considered black. He's on our side. 
So we got to do something for black folks. <laughs> let me ask you, let me ask you something um, about this, Elgin, because Curtis is always, <laughs> how could I say this in a nice term? But I'm really big on verbiage. And I'm really big yeah. on the who you identify as is who you are going to be treated as. So... I'm more on the nationalizing, the Moors. Um, I'm trying to get our people to let go of the word black, particularly. Mm. I know we hold we hold so much to that word. So I'm just like, we continuously mm. keep adding names to the list. Now all of a sudden is the black and brown, right? Mm. You know, we dealt with the African-American, we dealt with the minority, mm. dealt with this whole the, the black and brown thing is the newest thing. Mm-hmm. What is what is your mm-hmm. take on all of these different categories? Do you think that that's further pushing us back to win this war that we in? I don't think it's necessarily pushing us back. I think it. I think what happens mm-hmm. is even these conversations can make us stagnant of trying to choose which term that we're going to call each other. I think it's right. it's important to how you identify to any term. So regardless of what the term is, how you identify and respond to that term, and then also let's think what is what what of these terms did we as a people actually come together and choose to accept to be called. We, we didn't choose these terms. All of these Negro, right. African-American, Afro-American, mm-hmm. Black, all of these terms were not terms that we as a collective chose to be called. These are terms that right. we were given by, yeah. and sometimes we're given by people who look like us, but had nefarious agendas. But I think we don't have the time to, to worry, to, not necessarily just to worry, but to argue back and forth. Because again, it goes back to communication. It goes back to trauma. Anything for us tends to set us off and we tend to get into a battle. I think it's important how we identify ourselves, but I think it's more important of how we respond to those things and treat each other. I think there's a rich history of you know us being kings and queens but i think also we got to remember everybody wasn't a king and queen right you know but we right. we had a lot of very uh-huh. we had scholars we had you know uh all these wonderful occupations that actually got taken and manipulated so it's how we actually come together and begin to work as a community. One of the biggest things that's killing us right now, man, is frankly individualism. We have an individualistic mentality. It's all about me getting the bag. Me. It's all about me doing this. And it has a religious component to it because in churches, you talk, talked about your personal relationship with yeah. Jesus is not necessarily a community perspective, actually what we need. So what goes on here in my house directly affects what happens to my neighbor, directly affects how I treat my kids when they go to school with other kids. I I care about how other parents treat their kids because your little kids is going to be around mine. If they haven't been taught right right, now, I got to teach my kids how to throw the left. We got to be careful about that type of stuff, man. That's important. You wow, that's awesome. You you, you hit it right on the mark. I only the reason asked why- you because no, I'm sorry, Curtis, but I asked him because Malcolm X was big on national nationalism. Absolutely. And 
but he but he also was big on um putting us all in one land area and be able to live off the resources that the government give us. And that would have been an issue because we would have been in one area where we could be taken out easy from a military strategy. Even Malcolm X did in my opinion, he wasn't right about everything, but he was a man of his time and he was very smart. But Nobody that was right great. About everything. 20, 2021, we know that the strategy is if you put all black folks in one section, that'd be too easy to wipe us out if they wanted to. So from a military military strategy, that's horrible to do that. But back then, who knows? Maybe with we don't know what education he got at that part where he learned from the Elijah Muhammad on what they thought they just was doing what they thought was best for that moment. But now in 2021, from a militaristic uh, design, that would be the, the worst thing we could do is put us all in one section. We do better being scattered all over the place if we had unity. Think about how powerful we were if we was unified, but we scattered all over the world, everywhere. And we all unified as one unit. Now, the reason why I said that the uh, category as far as what we nationalize or we do that, when you dealing with the psychology of a white man, it don't matter what you call yourself. You know why? Because he look at your biology. He understands the biology can cause genetic annihilation to his race. And we constantly sleep with his white wife, his white family. We can cause genetic annihilation because now they're not going to be white no more when they mix with us. Bro, so the, the, white, the, white man, the white man knows more about our history and about how powerful we are more than our own people. That's why they have so many dysfunctionalities to keep us suppressing our in our in our in our, in our state. And what I say is, we don't need to worry about what we identify as long as we identify as one race. We could say that we one race, whether you are uh, Moapian, you're more, you're African, whatever you want. But I biology. Human when race. I sit there and go through the science and look and break down your blood versus my blood, we're gonna have a lot of the same components running in it, genetic makings running in it. Why? Because we are one race, even though we identify, like you said before, as individuals, we got to stop being a society of individuals and we got to come as one. But identifying what you identify, I'm not going to fight you if you say you're more. As long as you have the, the greater cause, it's about race. Because one thing is for certain, you born into this earth, you born into this earth with this skin color. You you get to choose what you, what you want to follow from that point on. You want to be uh, 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 more or you want to be this you get to choose that but you don't get to choose what color you born into this earth and that's what we need to focus on as being the most important thing because this is the only thing we can't take away I could decide today tomorrow I don't want to be a more no more <laughs> I, I'm not a more now I want to be an African American yeah, yeah. but my biology says and otherwise I think the one thing too <laughs> you know is I think we need people who have differences I think it's important because we're not yeah. a monolith you know, we, we, we have different views, but I think the one thing, when we go back to Malcolm's Ballad in a Bullet speech, you know, he has that section where he says, although I'm still a Muslim, I'm not here to discuss my religion. You know, whether you're a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Muslim, or nationalist, whether you're educated or illiterate, we're all in the same boat, and we are all catching the same hell from the same man. So I, that right there, to me, explains... We need differences, but we all have to have this, some sense of the same principles and the same direction. And if everybody doesn't have that direction that you bang with, 
bang with those who do. The idea of Black folks coming together across the diaspora, across the country, and unifying and being united is something I think that we need to begin to really critically look at and say, is that really a possibility? Is that really possible that we're all going to be able to unite on the same common thing? I don't think we have to. I think what we have to we have to acknowledge yeah. that we have the same enemy, the same people are putting the same system are doing those things, and that system has to be destroyed. If we can agree on that, man, you can you can you. pray to who you want to, you can call yourself what you want to call, but if we agree on those principles right there, man, we're gonna be right. all right. We you follow are. that's exactly that's what exactly Marcus Messiah oh Garvey and when we with the when you dissect um mm-hmm. and I'm a Garveyite, so that's exactly my belief. And I follow when you look at Malcolm X, his no father was a Garveyite. His father mm-hmm. followed Marcus Messiah Garvey and his teachings and his ways and stuff like that. Even Malcolm X at some point started following Garveyism at some point in his last days. That's why he went to Nairobi and met with mm-hmm. a guy named DePinto. And they try to communicate with making it a pan, not more like a pan African front where we all are under one umbrella. However, there could be many different, like you could have many different things. Like you could say, okay, I'm Christian, I'm Muslim, because Marcus Saigari was a Christian, but he never promoted Christianity because he felt the greater cause was we fight the same, we have the same common goal is to preserve our race and fight against our common enemy. So he didn't he wasn't too concerned about him preaching religion and stuff like that. Marcus Messiah Garvey. And he's from Jamaica. But he knew that we So everybody should be reading Race First by Tony Martin. Race first by Tony Martin. I'm gonna look at Race First by Tony Martin. Tony Martin Race First. Race First. It's all about the philosophy and ideologies of Marcus Garvey. Race first. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. book. It's, it's a, good, mm-hmm. a good starter point to understand, man, some of the things that we're facing and to see. I mean, he gives solutions in the book. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So this conversation has, has been oh so dope. I'm so blessed to have uh, Elgin Bailey uh, join in tonight. I know this is dope for Blaze One Radio, the Black Podcast <laughs> meets Break Back Got Cage Podcast. <laughs> that's, that's how it should be you know, more so, you know, to say we need to intertwine and, and have these type of conversations with one another. You definitely have educated me a little bit more about about certain things. And I'm so grateful and, and glad that you are doing what you do are doing for the betterment of our community. Um, we, we, we need more like it. You know, I'm I'm on my way. I'm doing what I, I can do. Curtis is doing uh, what he can do. We have two more brothers, a part of the podcast as well. They're doing what they what they need to do up in Virginia. And one is is based in New York. So um, collectively, um, as a whole, we are bettering our community one as one time at a time. Absolutely. So um before we, we gotta have oh, man, back because you awesome, man. Uh, I'm it, always available, man. Yes, we're just sitting there listening, like, wow, I'm, I'm busy. I wish I had my paper and pen. I'm so unprepared <laughs> today. I usually write notes and stuff. And I have so I mine. Can... I have mine right here. But um, before we go, Elgin, can you please provide the people 
with how they can get in contact with you. If you, if anyone is suffering from addiction, mental health, needs counseling, just needs a shoulder, how can, how could we reach out to you? How can oh, they reach man. out First to you? First off, I'm available all the time, man. So I don't want anybody who is hearing this to think that their situation is too big, too small, too bad to reach out. Uh, I may not have the answers for you, but I guarantee you that I will grind to help you get the assistance that you need. You can find me on Twitter at Elgin Bailey. I'm also on Facebook at Elgin Bailey. Uh, you can chime in and listen to the, the, the podcast is in the black podcast.com. Uh, you can find us on YouTube in the black podcast. Uh, but listen at Elgin Bailey everywhere. Feel free to inbox me at any time. Gotcha. I'm here. Well, do well, do. Awesome. excellent, man. Excellent. I hope to have you back yes, on soon. You light, light conversation. I learned a lot today. And like I said, I'm so <laughs> angry I have my paper and pen, but I will be writing this down when it comes on the radio station. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm writing excited, all this information man. down Listen. because you, you touch a lot of areas, and um, you know, it's not too much we could possibly do in two hours, but we did we cover a decent amount, and I can't wait to have you on the show so we can impact, unpack more because I know there's so much more that you can offer Absolutely. to us as far as what the condition, the mindset. You know, we didn't really touch into behavior science too much, which the area I like so much. And um, hopefully, next time when we have you on, we can really tap into more of a behavior like. What is the reason why people Ooh, do yeah, the things they yeah. do? That's right. more important. That's something right. that we didn't really touch. Because Elgin, I Elgin like because speaking of Elgin, I believe, is is currently pursuing a degree in behavioral, behavioral mental health science. Mental yeah, health. man. With a minor, yes. with a minor in psychology. Yeah. So nice. the goal is one day to have my own. Yeah. Uh, my own therapy sessions, man, my own building. I like to have a building with a bunch of black men and women providing mental health services Beautiful. in our community. Yes, we need it. We need it because mental health is is really at an ultimate mm -hmm. high right now. And it's, it, it yeah. is affecting the younger generation as well. I see it as young as six, seven, yep. eight years old, unfortunately. And we got to start promoting, like, like for example, um, a, a lot of people be promoting people to see therapists, but don't po don't promote them, not therapists, don't promote them to see psychiatrists where they give them medication right. because of the medication. I, 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 that's one I am an expert at Adderall and Ritalin and all that. I'm an expert at it because I used to work for a drug company that used to push it, and I learned a lot, and I would never do it again. But I learned a lot that a lot of those things have effects on the on the body where your body don't produce it no more. So mm -hmm. now you codependent on those drugs, and if you don't take it, it, you start your body start to deteriorate. So that's not something we should ever promote medication. I think with us, we need more talk therapy. What you're doing, I think, is awesome, and I want to thank you for being here for our community because we need more brothers like you and I'm just so excited that in our next conversation we have we can unpack the as far as why people do mm. the things they do what is the conscious motivators for the stuff that people do because there's sure. a lot of science behind it and I, I, I just started reading a little bit I'm still learning myself but I know Man, you're more of a I'm professional so I definitely would like to hear your input on it <laughs> For sure. Well, thank you so much, brothers. Is there anything else you want to leave with us Man, today, Elgin? Take care of yourself out there, family. Be safe. 
Before we go, let's get into this mix by our brother DJ Jewels in celebration of DMX Earl Simmons. We love you. I do hope that you obtain the peace and the healing that you've been trying to seek for the duration of your life in the physical. Let's get it. Keep it true. Every once in a while I break out the backyard and roll. And 
Get 